Welcome to season two of In Our Tracks, a project from the National Reining Horse Association. I'm your host, Jennifer Paulson. We're here to honor the history of reining, discuss current events and trends, and look ahead at the opportunities this sport has in its future. Reining's rich heritage includes vibrant personalities we're excited to share with you, along with honoring the horses and events that have made this sport the international phenomenon it is today. If you like what you're here, please be sure to leave a review. And thank you for listening to In Our Tracks. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of In Our Tracks, the official podcast of the National Reining Horse Association. In this episode, we're really excited. We have a little bonus episode for you. Um, we're going to talk to Olivia Klug. She's the National Reining Horse Youth Association president. She is a senior in high school in Nebraska, and we're really um, excited to introduce you to Olivia. So welcome, Olivia. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So we'd like to know a little bit about your introduction to horses and reining and um, about the horses that you're riding now. Yeah, so um, I grew up on um, my family farm and we raised cattle here, but my grandparents always had horses when I was growing up and they just lived a couple miles away from me. So growing up, you know, I spent a lot of time over there and was always in love with the horses and begged to start showing horses. Um, so when I was eight, that I got involved in 4-H and actually I started showing out more pleasure horses. Uh-huh. And then my trainer actually introduced me to reining. And so I think I was 11 when I got my first trainer and I instantly was in love with the sport. Um, you know, my first horse was really influential to me because he taught me so much. You know, it wasn't one of those horses you go score real big on. He was definitely um, one of the horses you get on and they teach you how to ride. Right. Uh, so after that, my second horse, um, I got when I was 13 and his name was, his barn name's Riley and his registered name is Puppies Love Man. And he's the horse that really took me into the actual show world of reining. Um, you know, I had my first year with him was definitely a learning curve. And then after that, we had a lot of, a lot of success. And, um, I mean, every time I got on that horse, you know, my love for reining just grew. And, uh, so yeah, I had him for, I showed him for four years and then my fifth year with him, um, I started showing a four-year-old. I started, I got a new horse in the spring of, um, 2019 mm-hmm. and her name is Honey and her, 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 um, registered name is Smart Socks. So she's, she was four when I got her and she was definitely, she was a lot different than Riley. But with that difference came so much more for me to learn as a rider and as a person. Um, and so I'm on my third year riding her and I am absolutely in love with that horse. She's taught me so much and really took me to another level of um, just being a horse, a horseman. And so, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm super excited. We have our first show of the season. Uh, next weekend so I'm very excited to get back out there Um, you know last year was hard because we didn't have shows for the first half of the year Um, but thankfully we had some shows at the end of the year Um, but you know so I'm really really excited to have a a full season this year and get to show Honey Uh, I think we're going to do really good this year she's really come a, a long long ways from when I first got her so yeah that sounds wonderful. I'm excited for you guys and um, excited to see how things go for you. Um, it's it's always fun to 
you know, get in with that younger horse and um, really form that relationship and and go places with them. So I'm, I'm happy for you about that. So you're, you're very active in your school and clubs and groups, as well as being, you know, an NRHYA youth officer and showing horses and all the responsibilities that come with that. Can you tell us a little bit about the stuff that you're doing in school and then um, how you make it all work? Because I know that there's a lot of kids in your shoes who are, you know, trying to balance everything and they want to be involved in school, but the horses are so important to them and they take so much time. So what, what are you involved in? And then what kind of advice can you offer to any youth riders who might be listening? Yeah, so um, at my school, I'm involved in a lot of different clubs and activities. Um, I'm really, I'm in, uh, my school has a campus ministry group. So I'm in that along with National Honor Society. Um, and then I'm also in HOSA, which is a group that kind of gives high school students an intro into the medical field and a look into that if that's something you're interested in. So I'm in that as well as um, a group called God Teens, and that is a teen youth group um, through our church or churches in my town. And they meet every week and we have like an hour, an hour and a half group session. So that's, that's really fun. Um, I'm also in track right now, which has been a really big, uh, it, it's taken up a lot of time, but it's been super fun and I've loved it. So yeah, I'm definitely very busy and horses do take up a lot of time. I mean, I would say my biggest thing that helps me with time management is just trying to keep everything planned out nicely and looking ahead. So one thing that's really, really helped me that I would suggest to everyone is having a planner. And I know that sounds, some people don't like planners, but before I used one, I felt like I was always all over the place. And once I started using a planner, I can kind of schedule out what I'm doing. And it really helps me look ahead at my week and my schedule and just be able to know what I'm doing. And it keeps me a little bit less stressed out. So I would say that as well as I'm a big list person. When I have stuff to do, I always make a to-do list. Um, and it kind of like just being able to have everything written out and see it there really helps me, you know, focus on what I need to get done. And then when I'm done with it, I cross it off the list and it's the most satisfying feeling. And then I can move on to the next thing. So, um, yeah, that's th those are two things that really help me. But I would also just say, like, everyone that I do, that I work with and all my activities and my officer team, they're always so flexible and so helpful. Um, if I have something going on, they're, everyone is always really, really good about you know, working things out to where I can get it done. So I'm very, very fortunate to have such a great um, group of people that help me with that. And thankfully for me at my school, my coaches and all my teachers are very flexible with me that I can go in in the morning and get a lot of my stuff done. And a lot of meetings end up being in the morning. So I can do a lot of school stuff in the morning and have time to go right after school. Perfect. Yeah, that's super important. And I'm, I'm guessing, you know, if you're an honor society and that kind of thing, you're a pretty solid student. And so that builds faith from your teachers too, to let you have that flexibility because it really is kind of a, a two-way street there. Yeah, my teachers and my teachers have always known that, you know, I love my horses and they take up a lot of time. And I've been really fortunate. My teachers have all been very flexible with me and are always there to help me out. Great. 
So tell us a little bit about becoming involved with NRHYA leadership. Um, how, did, how did you get there? And then um, why would you encourage other youth writers to become a part of that? So I first got involved in leadership when I um, very first started writing. So I would have been 11 when I started. And at the time, Shaylin Mearing and Claire Dietrich were both NRHYA officers and they rode in my trainer's barn. So I automatically got, you know, kind of a glimpse into the world of the leadership side of NRHA. And they both really encouraged me to run for a delegate position a delegate position. So after in my third year of reigning, I ran for a delegate position um, on my regional show and I ended up getting it. And so that was very exciting. Um, at that time Liz Blazer was also an officer, mm-hmm. and so that was really fun. She also rides with my trainer, and we went to all our shows together, so it was really, really fun to be able to, you know, be a delegate while she was an officer and kind of learn from her, um, and she kind of showed me the ropes at all the shows, and so I ended up being a delegate for two years, and then I got encouraged um, to run for office, and so I ran for treasurer in 2019 and I received the position so I was the 2019 NRHY treasurer and that was that that year got me hooked I was in love with NRHY leadership um I loved my team that year so much it was absolutely amazing and all the opportunities that I had and all the memories I made were truly unbelievable um that team was very very special me there were three of us from Nebraska on there so that was also really, really unique and very fun um, that I loved. But yeah, some of my best friends have come from NRHYA leadership opportunities, and I am so thankful for that. But yeah, so I was the treasurer in 2019, and then in 2020, I was the vice president, and now I'm the president this year. And NRHYA leadership is the most influential thing in my life, I would say. It's really shaped me into who I am today, and I am so thankful for it. Um, I don't know what my life would, I don't want to know what my life would be like without it. But so, yes, I'm very thankful. Um, but I would encourage anyone who is thinking about it to run for a leadership position. It's truly life changing. Um, even a delegate position, they are so much fun, and you learn so many skills. Uh, I I loved my time as a delegate. It was a blast. And, you know, if you can always go higher with your position, if you like being a delegate, I would definitely encourage you to run for office. Um, it's super fun. You have amazing opportunities, and the people you meet are amazing. Everyone at NRHA, I love working with everyone there. Everyone is so sweet. Uh, so I would definitely say if you're thinking about it, go for it. Do it. It's awesome. And, you know, if you ever have any questions about it, everyone can always um, reach out to me, any of the other officers or youth advisor, and we are open to helping you out and everything. Um, It doesn't need to be a big, scary thing. I think when I first ran, I was a little timid about it, but you just kind of jump in and go with it, and it's awesome. Yeah, it seems um, like in talking to Sarah Honiger and the opportunities that you guys encounter, I mean, they're they're very big and can really help you in your future and become better leaders and, you know, prepare yourselves for your future. And I just, I'm really um, inspired by the kinds of things that you guys get to do. And, 
you know, making those connections with people in the industry can be huge for your future too. And um, there's definitely those opportunities. And it's just, it seems like it's a lot of fun, you know, going to the major events and meeting the, the big name trainers and the horses and that kind of thing is a big perk as well. Yes, it is. And like you said, the opportunities are amazing. I've met so many connections. It's insane. And I've just grown. I have grown as a person a lot, especially just in all the skills that I will use for the rest of my life. Um, I remember at the beginning of my first year as an officer, I was nervous to talk in front of a small group of people for a youth meeting. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that year, I ended up being on stage at Slider's Night Out talking in front of the whole crowd. And it was so much fun. And if I didn't have the experience that I got that year with um, my officer team, I never would have been able to do it. So, you know, that public speaking skill is something I'll be able to carry with me throughout the rest of my life. So just the skills that um, you grow through your opportunities are insane. And it's wonderful. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your future. Um, You're graduating from high school. What what does the future look like for you? And and will reigning horses remain part of it? Yeah, so I right now I plan to attend Oklahoma State University in the fall, and I'm planning on majoring in animal science with a minor in um, agriculture business. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm very excited to be staying in the agriculture world. You know, it's something I grew up around, and I I have such a passion for it that I could never leave it behind. Um, So yeah, that's what I'm majoring in, and I definitely want to keep the equine industry in my life. Um, I'm going to keep showing this year. I'm going to finish out the year and then hopefully I'll be able to keep showing from there. It's just going to kind of depend play by play. Um, but I definitely, I want to end up, um, you know, staying in the agriculture field, but I definitely want to end up specializing in the equine industry and, um, keeping equine in my life. You know, it's something that's become such a big part of me. I can never say goodbye to it. Um, so yes, that's kind of where I'm at. Hopefully I'll be able to keep showing graining courses. Um, it'll just kind of depend, you know, I'm moving down to Oklahoma, so I'm not sure if I'll take my horse down there with me or if, um, I'll just show in the summer. It'll really just depend, but I'm very excited. Oh, I know no matter where I go, I'm always going to come back to horses. Um, it's just, it's the biggest passion in my life. And, I know that that's where I'm supposed to be. So, Well, and being right there in, in Oklahoma and Stillwater, you're so close to all the big events and that kind of thing. So even if you're not showing in them, you uh, you still have a place there to come and be with your reigning community um, as you progress through your college career too. Yeah. And I mean, like I've, I always say, NRHA is truly my second family. And I mean, I've met some of my closest friends there and, you know, some of them I've grown so close to, they're, they are like my second family truly um so i'm very excited to be going down to oklahoma and being able to be so close to nrha and nrha headquarters and you know it's like my second home down there so i'm very excited for that well good deal well we we wish you the best of luck this spring and into show and showing this spring and summer and all that and um, i'm sure we'll see you around the horse shows thanks a lot for your time and um We hope everybody will stick around. We have a short sponsor message from um, our sponsor for this episode. And then we get into our discussion with Casey Deary, the um, NRHA $2 million rider. So stick around for that. And um, thanks again for your time, Olivia. 
Yes, thank you. This episode of In Our Tracks is brought to you by Shorty's Cowboy Hattery. Shorty's Cowboy Hattery is celebrating 30 years of building custom hats and is located in the historic Oklahoma City Stockyards. Their handmade quality Western hats are crafted with dedication, trust, and tradition you thought was lost. Shorty's hats are handmade, one hat at a time, with over 100 years of craftsmanship and are custom fitted to each individual. Shorty's Cowboy Hattery is dedicated to quality and perfection, and is, Shorty's is proud to be the official hat of the National Reining Horse Association. Visit Shorty's on the web at www.shortyshattery.com. everybody welcome to this episode of in our tracks today we are with nrha two million dollar rider casey deary casey's won just about every major event you saw him in the last cowboy in 2019 and the run for a million the event the event that went along with that tv show um he's a a, quite the personality around the horse shows he keeps everybody laughing along with being a super talented horseman so we're really excited to have casey on today thanks a lot for being here casey absolutely thank you for having me so we'll start with our what we call our large fast. It's just five quick icebreaker questions. Um, what is your favorite okay. food to have in the truck when you're hauling? Favorite food to have in the truck? Uh, I actually love peach rings, but my chaps are getting a little tighter than they <laughs> should be, so I'm trying to cut those out. <laughs> Got to find a, a healthier snack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, what do you like to listen to when, when you're going to a horse show? You know what? If I'm driving, I usually get on uh, YouTube and I listen to T.D. Jakes' preaching messages. Okay. Give you a little inspiration before you get to the show? Yeah. I mean, it just, uh, you know, a lot of those things are an hour long or so. And so they they keep me kind of uh, alert and thinking and some positive words on the way or coming home, either one. So you've had a lot of um, accomplishments horseback, but which is the one that stands out most in your mind? Horseback accomplishments? Um, man, there's so there's so many amazing horses that I've been so fortunate to ride, but I I would have to think that America's Next Gun model winning the fraternity in 2012 would probably be the the one that stands out the most. That was you know, early in my career and, uh, minimal show experience and, and, uh, and earnings and to have a horse that was that caliber, uh, to just kind of catapult me to that position was pretty amazing. For sure. What's, what's your favorite trait in a horse? A willing attitude. Right. That positive attitude can can make all the difference for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't matter how uh, dynamic or athletic or how much look they have. If they won't help me, I struggle to get it done. I, I've never been the kind of guy that can take a horse that, and and make them do that job. Um, I it, it would I'd, I would have to really struggle to think of a horse that I'd want a paycheck on that I really and truly had to make do their job. So uh, for me, it's, it's as much about a willing partner, um, as it is, you know, the stellar athlete. So it's always great when you have something like, you know, America's top, next top gun that, 
is both of those. But mm-hmm. I can take a willing a willing animal and put them through situations to make it work uh, easier than I can a, a able animal that's not willing. Right. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, thinking about your non-pros, what's the most common piece of advice that you give them before they go in the pen? Uh, my, my actual favorite line to use is just remember all you have to do is be perfect. <laughs> Good pressure. <laughs> and I, I say that because, you know, just, we've all been there, right? You're going in, you're nervous, you're worried about this, you're thinking about that. And to have me just say, Hey, all you got to do is be perfect. It just kind of makes you laugh and giggle a little and and roll on. Obviously, none of us are going to be perfect in there. You know, our job is to go do the best we can and get the most we can out of our horse. Uh, perfection is obviously what we strive for, but it's right. realistically, it's unattainable. So, um, you know, me as a coach, my job is to prepare your horse and to prepare you mm-hmm. and then let those chips fall where they go. So once you walk through that gate there, I'm going to be there cheering for you and supporting you. I want you to have fun. So, uh, you know, I, I really try to keep it lighthearted and, and, uh, keep my customers relaxed and enjoying it. Great. So Casey, tell us a little bit about how horses were part of your life growing up and some of those first horses that you rode that maybe left an impression on you. Well, I actually grew up in a little neighborhood, um, that was kind of out in the middle of a bunch of cotton farms. So I didn't grow up with horses. I've loved the horse since as, as early as I can remember. I can remember walking to the end of the cul-de-sac to the little ranch that, that kind of surrounded us and, uh, you know, stealing mom's carrots and taking them down there and trying to <laughs> bait the horses into coming to the fence. But I have amazing parents that have been extremely supportive um, and still are. I mean, they still will drive my dad. It's not uncommon to have my folks drive, you know, four or five hours to watch a three minute run and, and, uh, you know, knowing that they don't understand it to the level that, uh, you might think, but still be there in support. So, um, I got involved in the 4-H when I was young and that's where I met Nicole. And I actually, uh, I, I've always been the guy that, you know, picked up the loose change and saved it. So, I bought my first horse when I was 15 years old for a thousand dollars, uh, was an appendix registered mare and kind of started that snowball effect from there through high school. I just bought and sold horses through the newspaper and I'd go to clinics and things like that. And I learned as much as I could. And then, uh, but you know, I was riding horses that I might pay a thousand bucks for them and sell them for 3,500. So I just was trying to flip those low end horses and uh, learn as much as I could. And then when I graduated high school, I went to work for Clint Haverty and I worked for Clint for about three years um, while I started my college deal. And then when I ran out of classes to take there at the junior college, I made the move. But, um, you know, as far as the horses go, I, I have, I have had every level of horse that you can think of from the ones that, uh, that I have actually given away um, to the really, really top end of them. So, um, I've had the the fortune of seeing the entire spectrum of that deal. So 
but as far as the one that stands out, it's still, I go back to the gun model every time. I, that was such a special mare. Nicole and I were partners with, uh, with Dana Case on that mare. Okay. And she, she really did. She changed the, the trajectory of my life for sure. And how did you find that horse? Um, did, is it one that you went out and found and then and partnered on it or how did that happen? So that, that mare was special to us for multiple reasons, but um, Dana Dana Case was my partner on that mare, and her husband was a man named John Conrad, and John was a very hardworking guy and, and uh, super super good guy to have around. Um, and we cut up and teased. He was more like a brother as far as how we teased each other. Um, and I coached their daughter. And so he would always say, I wish I had the money to buy you a great horse. I wish I had the money to buy you a great horse. And, um, he passed away the year before we bought that mare. And so, uh, kind of as a memory for John, Dana came to me and said, Hey, this was my husband's dream. So you find what you think is the best horse that you can buy and I'll buy it for you. And so it was, uh, I really hadn't had a lot of opportunities where a, a person didn't tell me, you know, Hey, I can, I want to buy something, but I have $10,000 to spend. Mm-hmm. Um, so we hunted and hunted and hunted and, and I, my wife and I both fell in love with that mare at the sale from the beginning. And so we actually, discussed it and nicole and i partnered with dana on that mare at the sale and you know she was bred right and pretty and looked right but i wasn't really sure if we were going to be able to get her bought through the sale and it ended up working out where we could have her and um you know i was young enough in my career that i didn't have the confidence that i really needed to have all of that work right and so as that mare trained there were things about her that i tried to change that she didn't really want to change. And so I made a, I kind of made a mess of some things that I should have left alone. And so she taught me a lot through that whole process about, you know, kind of accepting my horse for what they want to be, uh, obviously trying to teach them to be the best they can be, but, but really letting those horses develop into the style that, that suits them the best. So, uh, as the year went on, we did really well at, the uh cowtown classic in fort worth um and then we went and won vegas by i don't have to look back but it seems like she won vegas by five or six points it was a significant gap between her and second place and i get no credit for it that mare was just incredibly talented so uh, the the way she did things just made you mark her and so we had offer after offer after offer coming in and we were in a situation where we had credit card debt and young kids and we couldn't afford to turn the money down. Um, and I remember saying to Nicole, cause Nicole's obviously runs our office, takes care of all of that stuff. So she's the one paying the bills and she's going, Hey, you know, it would sure help us to be able to sell that mare. And I, and I said to Nicole, uh, you know, if you don't believe I can do this then let's sell her. And I didn't mean it to be a, uh, trap, but it kind of came out that way. And so Nicole said, you know what, I think you can do it. And so we turned down some, 
significant offers that that uh, looking back were probably <laughs> you know almost silly to turn down but it worked out that way in the long run so yeah turning down those life-changing offers then led to a life-changing achievement for you guys exactly and and, and it, it rarely works that way right i mean right with those big numbers like that in my situation, it, it's not like I could afford to lose. And, and we took the gamble anyway. So, uh, it certainly, it certainly paid off in the long run. And then it, it led to a really great relationship with the Archezzi family. So they ended up buying that mare the night before the open finals at the fraternity. So we'd already tied to win the go round and felt, I felt very confident with that mare and, and, confident that we were going to be able to be successful there obviously you know it, it's a guy didn't want to get too too uh overconfident with it but i felt really really good about our chances so that worked out really well and it led to i still work for the archezzi family and mm-hmm. they've been great for us and obviously they're instrumental in the industry so it's been a great partnership there absolutely um, you mentioned, you know, Clint Haverty and, and then also partnering with the Archeses and working with the Archeses, that kind of thing. Um, you have a lot of really, um, legacy reigning names in your career. And, um, I'm just wondering what horsemen and horsewomen you admire the most and, and what you like about them and how they've helped you shape your training program and your business philosophy. Oh man, there's, that list is impossible to get through. We don't have enough time to go through all of it, but, uh, you know, Clinton Liz were great to me. I, I worked hard there and, uh, I learned a lot. Uh, Clint is still a, a very good friend of mine. And, and so obviously those years that I spent there with him are priceless. Um, but as I left there, I left, I left probably sooner than I probably should have hindsight 2020. I should have probably stayed a few more years and learned more and had more opportunities. But as I left there, I made it a goal to go ride with as many different people as I could. So, um, I rode with Bill Horn some, um, I rode with Steve Archer, who is a dear friend. You know, my kids call him uncle Steve. So Steve was instrumental in a lot of that stuff early on, as far as, teaching me how to, to show a horse, present those horses. Um, you know, there's just so many. I've, I've, I've tried to make sure that I would go and ride with guys. I spent a week with Sean Flaherty that changed the direction of my training program. Um, you know, there's so many guys that I have looked at through the process, you know, studying Bob Avila's horses, studying Todd Bergen's horses, and watching Andrea and the way he works and, uh, you know, there's just so many of those guys that I've tried to make sure that I've stayed open-minded about uh, whether whether my program mirrors those guys or there were parts of them that I took. You know, I remember going and riding with Craig Smersel early on, and so I've tried to make sure that I was open-minded enough to take pieces that I thought could work uh so that I had those tools in my, in my repertoire when I come across a horse that doesn't necessarily fit the exact mold of how I want it to go. I want to be able to adapt what I do so that I can get those horses trained and shown, um, in a way that fits that individual, not necessarily adapt those individuals to a program that fits me. 
Right, right. So, and in a, a sport yeah. that's always evolving and these horses are always getting better, um, it seems like you almost have to do those kinds of things, go learn from other people just to stay at the front of the curve um, and be open-minded to learning. Absolutely. I, I mean, I just, I think back so realistically, um, let's just say I've done this for 20 years without having to think too much. <laughs> The, the kind of horses that we have access to now compared to what we rode when I worked for Clint, it's, it's unbelievable. When, when you look at a horse, I, I keep going back to America's Next Top Gun uh, Maverick, um, who is part of my family, uh, not, not horse family. My children, you know, love that horse and treat him like family. But to think there's an individual out there that is so gifted in every single part that the biggest mistakes I've made on that horse is not having it broke enough and trained enough to access it. So, you know, in the old days where you had to actually teach one to turn around or teach one to run stop or teach one how to lope, we're breeding horses now that do that on their own. Mm -hmm. And so to have, to have those individuals coming through my program where man, it's so nice. I can just go out there and work and teach them and show them and they just absorb it like a sponge and it makes sense to them. They understand it. And I'm, I'm asking them to do things in a big way, but it's not really a big way to that horse. That's what they're capable and able to do. So I'm really not having the stress or push, you know, to where 10 years ago, man, we'd have had to really work hard to get a horse to turn the way the Maverick turns. Right. So I think that our breed as a, as a whole is improving that way. So, um, <clears throat> what do you think if, if you hadn't gone down this road and you hadn't been had access to the horses at the end of the cul-de-sac, um, when you were growing up, what career path do you think you would see yourself in? Um, maybe do you see yourself as an educator or, um, I don't know what, what do you picture yourself as if you weren't in the horse business? You know, I've said for years that I thought I would make an excellent Walmart greeter. <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, and really, I love people. Yeah. Um, I love to talk to people. You know, I, I don't, I couldn't tell you that I've ever met a stranger. So uh, I think that that would suit me just fine. And then I love stickers too. So <laughs> I can, it's the best of both worlds for me. So you bet. <laughs> I, I love, I love to tease my, my kids, my oldest son, Wyatt is, is a, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm barn blind, but I think he's a very gifted golfer. It, it frustrates me every time we go play together because he can hit it straight in a long way and he can always find his ball and that's stuff that I'm not uh, good at. Um, <laughs> and so I always tease him every time, you know, if I hit a good shot, I say, man, I'm in the wrong sport. I should have been a professional golfer. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I feel like looking back, I'm only 40 years old, so I don't want to sound like a grandpa, but but looking back, I can see where God put me in positions to develop my character, to develop the situation. You know, he put the love for the horses in there. Uh, he, he put me through a lot of trials early on. Right. Um, I, had a, I had a really bad wreck when I was in high school that crushed my face, so... I've been through eight surgeries just on my face, getting all that rebuilt. Well, and you could have walked away so, from it there and said, you know, maybe that's the sign that I'm not supposed to do this. I mean, and you persevered. And, and, 
and absolutely was a thought. Uh, I can still remember laying there with my head in this giant foam box. Uh, you know, I had 200 stitches inside my mouth. They wired bones together, uh, you know, just trying to keep it all together long enough to heal. You know, that was a three-year process to get my face put back together. Um, and looking back on it, I can see where, again, I have amazing parents, but my parents made me invest my money in the horses, in the trailer, in the equipment. So I can see on this side of it where had that all been mom and dad's money and that happened, I might have said, I'm done with that. Get rid of it. Right. Where, you know, I'm looking at it going, I've got thousands of dollars invested in all of this stuff and it's there's nobody to take that load away so it forced me to overcome my fear uh and get back on i ended up i ended up getting the one that crushed my face trained and sold and he was a sweet horse it was just a fluke accident so it wasn't like he was an outlaw or anything like that but uh you know in hindsight i can see how my parents not just doing it for me helped develop that character in me. So, mm -hmm. and I can see how going through, it was my junior and senior year of high school and my first year of college where I was missing six teeth in the front of my face. And I still had to go to class and I still had to meet new people and I still had to do the presentations. Uh, you know, it just kind of, I, I feel like it geared my personality to be, um, to be a little bit like, I'm going to do what I think is right. I'm going to do it the way I think I should do it. And if you disapprove of it or you don't like it, it doesn't necessarily affect me. You're entitled to your own opinion. If you think I'm funny looking without teeth, that's great. I'm funny looking with teeth. So it really didn't, uh, I, it's kind of, it's kind of developed a character in me that I think is enabled me to succeed in the arena. Right. Well, you just said that, you know, you're just 40 years old. What would you have told 30 year old Casey who was on the cusp of, you know, having a big achievement? Um, what would you have told yourself as advice then? And what kind of insight would you have provided to yourself if, if that was a possibility? Uh, probably first and foremost is take better care of yourself. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, I just came off of breaking my neck in November. Mm hmm um and there's still a lot of discomfort with that uh and, and that's that's one thing that i preach to my boys and and my girls are still pretty young but you have one body and if you have the chance to take care of it develop those better habits young you know eat i have a serious serious sweet tooth so uh i've been a fat kid my whole life so i if if there was a way that i could tell young Casey, Hey, break that habit. Now, you know, stay, stay 20 pounds lighter where you're not beating yourself up, carrying all that away. That would be one thing that I would say. And I would also say to, to younger Casey, do your job, work hard, be fair and honest with your customers, but enjoy the ride too. Don't, don't lose sleep over things you can't change. So, uh, you know, there was, there was years where extra stress, kept me up at night for for things that really made no difference and that you know god had under under his control the whole time so 
those are probably the two things that I would have to tell younger Casey. That's great advice. I, I told myself the same thing, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> what about like, what's something that we might not know about your life outside of reining horses? Um, you said you like to play golf with your son. Are you, do you like to boat? Do you water ski? Um, what's something that you like to do that doesn't involve the horses? Um, I do a little bit of all of that. You know, my, my folks growing up had a boat, you know, a little, a little bass boat. So I learned to water ski young and I enjoy fishing. I enjoy uh, the water skiing and stuff like that. I'm, I'm not quite as flexible as I used to. So it, it uh, it hurts a little more to, to crash than it used to. Um, we, you know, our deal in this industry, it's, it's not, the horses are not just our, our job, it's our life. So right. with my, with my team of people, you know, we, our employees eat dinner at the house with us, seems like once a week. I mean, it's, it's kind of a full-time lifestyle. So, uh, you know, I, I try to spend some time with the kids. Like right now, my number two, Owen is, is, uh, getting ready for a baseball game. And so I try not to miss any of those moments that I can make. Um, but that's, that's pretty much how our day goes. You know, our, my feet hit the floor way before the sun comes up and we're going nine Oh with four kids, Oh yeah. you know, between getting them out the door and then getting my job done. And so I like to, I, I like to golf with my boys and I enjoy going and watching them do the other activities. So it's pretty much that wide open until I hit the pillow. <laughs> so Casey, tell us a little bit about, um, being part of the last cowboy and was it what you thought it would be? Were there things that you were like, Whoa, I didn't know that's how it was going to go. Um, what did it do for your career or for your business? You know, I, I think that, uh, Taylor Sheridan has probably done more for our industry than anybody that's come along. Um, you know, whether that was his intention or not, I think that, uh, this last year has been a great example of even through a pandemic like we've been through, our sport has absolutely exploded mm-hmm. to the point of on my drive home from Scottsdale overnight here, I was making phone calls to people higher up in the NRHA trying to figure out what do we do to keep these shows from running into the wee hours of the morning, the two and three AM trying to get everybody taken care of. So, and I, you know, you can, you can call it what you want to, but Taylor's idea that, that he implemented there through the last cowboy has brought a lot of people in. Now, are there things that were a little bit of a shock to me through the television show itself? Yes. I, I think that, uh, there were things maybe that, you know, that portrayed me in a different light than what I had hoped would happen. There was, um, you know, there was some confrontations that they tried to create that maybe weren't there, Mm -hmm. you know, just to make things interesting. I mean, I, I, (laughs) one of the things we joked about with the crew was, you know, this is a lot of fun for a horse person, but I'm not sure how you make it interesting to the person that's not involved. Mm -hmm. And their response was, Hey, we can make, we can make a, a crab boat interesting exactly they said don't you worry about it we can make a crab boat interesting we can make this interesting so 
you know, they have a difficult job in following all of us around and, and learning the sport. You know, it's something that they were trying to document something that they really didn't know anything about. So they had a big job in trying to figure out how to draw a picture of something that they didn't really understand. So I thought there was a lot of really great stuff about it too. Um, I'm excited to be part of the qualified team there. So we'll be doing that part again. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I know we, we'd had talks about approaching things a little bit different. So we'll see how season two works out. Yeah. I'm sure they, uh, had a little, knew a little more what to expect at the cactus this year than they did in 2019. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, there were, they at least knew what, which end of the horse we were hanging the bridle on. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so Casey, just in closing, um, I just wanted to ask you about positive changes you've seen in the way that we're training our horses and caring for our horses that support the NRHA position of respect the horse, respect the sport. What kinds of things have you seen in your career that you've seen, um, you know, change for the better and the way that we're working with our animals better? Well, I, I think that this generation of guys, one, for starters, we have better individuals to train. Right. So, you know, when you start with a better canvas, your painting's going to finish better. But I've seen, I've seen changes in the way the NRHA, you know, sends uh, stewards around to make sure everybody's kind of following the same guidelines. Um, I have seen a group of guys here that I feel like are very well educated and maybe do a better job of understanding the equipment that they're using. So I'm, you know, I'm not seeing as much uh, stuff that way. Um, you know, obviously, as we get better, as horsemen, our veterinarians get better, our shoers get better. I, it's kind of a domino effect there, whereas we improve, all the parts improve. So, and there's, we still have, you know, the, the one that jumps out in my mind is Colleen McQuay, who has been an advocate from the get-go of how do we make this better for our horses and our exhibitors. And, and she has worked countless hours trying to improve those situations. So I have seen our show schedules get better. I've seen our uh, facilities that we compete in get better. I've seen the access to warm-up arenas get better. Our footing is getting better with, with the better quality equipment to keep the ground good. So, you know, I, I, I don't see any part of our industry that has not moved forward with those opportunities. So I, I think that as we continue to grow and as the sport grows, um, you know, onto a, a more public stage, I think that you'll see those things continue to improve. Absolutely. Well, Casey, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. And um, thanks again to Shorty's Cowboy Hattery for sponsoring this episode. And um, we'll look forward to watching you this spring at the NRBC and then on The Last Cowboy and on to the Run for a Million. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your phone call. Hey, thanks for listening to In Our Tracks, a project from the National Reining Horse Association. For more about reining and NRHA, visit NRHA.com and follow NRHA on Facebook at NRHA National Reining Horse Association and on Instagram at NRHA Reining. Please be sure to leave us a review. We love five stars and um, look for us next month.